Welcome to Food and Loathing, which I like to think of as the perfect way to build up your appetite as you're stuck in Las Vegas traffic, <laughs> running late for your dinner reservation. You know, I'm thinking, I'm wondering if F1 is selling sponsorship packages for the traffic jams they're creating. <laughs> of course, on our budget, I'm sure we would just be obstructed view. Shine right? a light right in our eyes, yeah. <laughs> oh, man, I'm your host, Al Mancini, a 20-plus year veteran Las Vegas food writer and the creator of the Neon Feast Restaurant Guide app and website. I am coming to you this week from the VIP table located atop the VIP, whiskey trailer yeah. at Chef Shotara Cameo's Mizunara within the Sundry Food Hall, which is, of course, located in the Uncommons Project in the Southwest Valley. Joining me for this on-location recording session are my co-hosts, Las Vegas food writer Samantha Gemini-Stevens and our engineer Rich Johnson. Hey, now. How the hell are you guys doing today? Fabulous. You like our little perch up here? I oh, love this wonderful. little perch up here. I've got photos that I'll be posting to Wishbone and Vine social media. Like, you've got to get the view. The bird's eye view is everything. Although yeah. the great view also is the sitting at those stools looking at that wall of uh, whiskey. That wall of whiskey sitting right below that's us. That's pretty nice, yeah. too. <laughs> so for those who haven't been here, um, and we're going to go all over in a moment. We're yes, gonna we are. We're going to be joined by David Varley. He's already here getting us liquored up, but he'll be... <laughs> Talking in some detail shortly, um, but just to give you the short version, if you know, as most of you know, if you listen to the show, um, the Sundry is a food hall. It has about 13 communal concepts that you order from an app from or however you order, and you mix and match. And then it has two sit-down restaurants that are right within the hall. This is at one of those sit-down restaurants is Mizunara. Yep. This is Chef Show Cameo from San Francisco, very well known. Um, he does a, a hand roll restaurant, and in the back of his restaurant, in the back of the hall, is this trailer that just sells Japanese whiskey, basically. It's brilliant. And it's got a roof. <laughs> Where they've put a private cool kids table, I yeah. guess. Yeah, like where. half a truck container, shipping container, where the the, uh, the the bar is down there, and then we're on the top with a view. I found yeah. out the secret to getting up here, but I'm not so sure I want to share it with everybody. Because <laughs> then I'll never get it. We're gonna have to. We'll ask Dave <laughs> all about the official ways to get up here, but then I want to know your secret too. Um, so, you know, we've spoken about the Sundry in the week since it's opened here at Uncommons, mostly about these 15 food concepts. I'm still working my way through them, um, but also about some of the online grumblings that we've been hearing about the place. And honestly, given the size of this operation and its many non-traditional components, it's a topic that deserves a much more detailed look than we've done in our Absolutely. little piecemeal about it. Absolutely. So we figured, what the fuck, let's do a show here, invite Executive Chef David Varley on the show to discuss all of it. Dave's an old friend of mine dating back to his days at Bradley Ogden. I'm going to give you the full intro for him later. We'll see how much I get right about what I remember. <laughs> say hello right now, but Dave. Dave so say we hi know. right now, man. Hey. <laughs> so stoked to have you guys here. It's really exciting. It's really good to be here. And man, you've already got like, you got some wine poured for us. You've got some Nika coffee whiskey, which for me is like the best bang for your buck of Japanese whiskey. Oh, absolutely. Um, so yeah, it's already been poured. So, you know, we're going to get into yeah. this. But yeah. Let's take some glasses. Cheers. And Cheers. A little Nika coffee for you. This is their grain. We should do it in front of your microphone. Yeah, in front yeah. of the mic. There we go. Boom. There you Clinky, go. Clinkies. The, the coffee, by the way, has nothing to do with coffee, the drink. It's the type of the 
still that they Correct. use. This is Nika coffee grain alcohol. Um, very affordable most of the times if you're in a place that has a good Japanese whiskey selection and yeah. they're way priced out of your price range. I always look for Nika coffee. What grain are we talking about here? And it's a gate. It's really the gateway Japanese whiskey yeah. these days. Like if you have someone that's, that's on the fair. fence about Japanese whiskey, what if you pour this for them and they don't like it, they just don't like whiskey, period. Yeah, yeah. Right. And they're it's, dead to me. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's um, it's very it's black and white. <laughs> really approachable, really interesting. Um, and the you know the the coffee still is you know is um, a Scottish still, and it really produces an incredibly smooth whiskey. Mm -hmm. So you know if you have someone that doesn't really know if they like whiskey, you pour that for them. What you're not going to find is them you know like. So hot, yeah, right. right? So they really get the flavor of the whiskey, and it's a great way to get people into whiskey. Yep. And it is clean. It's not, you know, it, it doesn't have all the the peatiness that Scotch will have. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have a lot of the American whiskey characteristics that that many of us love. No, I find you know, it to be sort of a really great middle ground. Yeah, it's a fastball right down the center of the yeah. plate every yeah. time. Yeah, I feel like it, it's very much in the Japanese tradition of everything of like each thing to itself, right? Yes. And it this is whiskey. It's a very pure expression of what it means to be it's whiskey. Beautiful. It's beautiful. exactly what it should be. Rich, I don't know what grain they're using for this. So you know? that was your question. Fascinating question. Yeah, let's read the label. <laughs> Rich has always got the one question I'll, I'll, I don't know. Please allow me to check. Dave, that's what, that's yeah. what we say in the restaurant business when we don't have the answer. <laughs> uh, it's like the car business. i got to go check with the manager now. Right. So anyway, we're going to get Dave in a minute. We're talking yeah. about all the things I think they're doing right here, the things that I'm a little confused about here, maybe some problems that we may have had here. They're new. This is the way that we get some feedback. I always want to create a conversation. Absolutely. So we are getting up to that probably about 10 minutes, 15 minutes from now. But um, before we do that, we always try to get you salivating and perhaps make you a little jealous by telling you about all the amazing restaurants <laughs> we've visited since last time we were all together recording one of these. Rich, man, you never get to go first because yeah. usually it's junk food <laughs> and we try to push it to the back. But where have you been dining, man? Well, about three hours ago, I dined right here in the Sundry. Your first time? First time. Okay. I had to sort of walk around. Where did it? Are these, oh, it's all sort of one big deal in QCAR code. The thing at the very opposite end, the uh, oyster the bar. The oyster bar, yes. Yep. Sat there, ordered a, um, you know, looked at all the different offerings, and finally got something something from the oyster bar, lobster roll. Hmm. Probably the best lobster roll I have had outside Cape Cod. Really? Oh my god! A long, wow, long time. That's high praise. Lots of lobster, big chunks, even too big. A couple of times I had to bite it off a little bit. Uh, a bread, a butter-soaked brioche, uh, you know, New England style with what I call the naked sides, and all nice and grilled. Mm -hmm. uh, the one thing that uh, gave me pause, but I thought I'd take one for the team. <laughs> That's a $39 lobster roll here Oof. at the okay. uh, food hall for lunch. Interesting, but because when people have complained about the prices in here, I've always said that the things I've had have been very affordable. I've only had a couple yeah. of things, but, but everything else Everything else on the menu the, was, you know, in the teens or even single digits for a couple of things. But yeah. I went all That's the way and, lobster roll, and it? it was really, really good. Yeah. I have I'm to say it. that. A nice, you know, like I said, a ton of lobster, a little bit of mayo, uh, vegetables, celery thing in there, but lobster, lobster, lobster. Okay, so Dave, right off the bat, man, that's, we're, we don't uh, want to drag you in too no. early, but tell me about that lobster roll. Abs and how do you feel about putting a $39 sandwich yeah. on a menu at a food hall? I feel great about a $39 sandwich if it lives up to the, the hype, right? And the best way to make a lobster roll is to take a half a one and a half pound Maine lobster. There you go. And that answers and my question. And steam that. 
So, you know, there's... Because on the menu, it's labeled as a half lobster roll. So I yeah. asked Rich, is it a half of the roll or is it a half of the lobster? No, it's a half, <laughs> main, it's a half main lobster, comma, roll. Um, and we use, you know, we're, we're buying really great lobsters. We're cooking them, cooking them every day, mm-hmm. breaking them out of the shell the hard way. This yeah. isn't like a frozen, you know, pre-cooked product. It's probably that you typically a bo- see. about a fifth of a pound of lobster meat. In yeah, it's a ser- yeah, you know, it's a serious sandwich. And that's, that's the thing for me. I would rather sell 10 great sandwiches knowing that we're doing it the right way at 39 Mm -hmm. than 20 at like 25 where i know i had to make some compromise in the quality of the product because you you know it's just not how to it's not the right way to do things if you're going to do it do it and you know it's not something you have every day it's an indulgence the way he described it i'm in i might have yeah i will come back for that even (laughs) eyes open now yeah. So, Rich, where else have you been eating? All right. Uh, the place near my house, Cheyenne and Durango, the uh, strip mall there with uh, Albertsons and a couple of other places. There's a new Thai restaurant called Sawadi. Uh, it is uh, a new ownership, a new name for the, the joint that used to offer sort of an all-in-one Thai. It was like perpetual lunch specials, an entree, a little <laughs> salad, a little appetizer and all that. That's how they did everything in one right. separated box like like you know again high school uh, lunch but this new place serves up the traditional a la carte thai some specials for lunch i had a basil chicken three out of five stars for the heat and it brought the heat at three it was just right there okay nicely sliced chicken breast great basil forward bunch of onion and carrots and bell peppers the remodeled interior of this place is gorgeous if you eat in I will be back to this place, Sawadi. Swad. I asked how to pronounce it. Sawad. He said Sawadi. Okay. Uh, S-W-A-D-D-E-E. Uh, Cheyenne and where Rampart turns into Durango again. Yeah, I feel like we don't do, I mean, it's, this town's not known for its Thai other than Lotus yeah. of Siam and a couple of other places. Right. But as far as just the corner Thai neighborhood places, you There's know, lots you're of lucky them. if you have... I, I think, though, having one really good one near yeah. your house is you're oh, pretty oh, lucky yeah. when it this comes is to worth Thai, checking. So. You are lucky because as many as there are in town, there's a there's a lot quite of, a few of them that are just not something I might want to talk about yeah. on this podcast. I think, right. the, yeah. <laughs> I think the, for the word you're looking for is fuck awful. Uh, pretty <laughs> much. Yeah. Okay. Uh, also, uh, I did the two-for-one Coney Dogs at the D, and the Coney Dog at the D is as ordinary as ever. Twice as good for half the price, though, yeah, right? Exactly. I, had, one, I had the so. coupon from the Anthony Curtis Las Vegas Advisor book. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I did my free slot play, and then I had the dog. It hits the spot. Uh, there are much better dogs around town, starting with Costco, no, but I, I believe. if you're into a Coney dog, they do a... They I do mean, it. They, well, they, they get a chili the, cheese dog. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. if you yeah. want a chili cheese dog, which is the Coney style, yeah. which God knows why it's from Detroit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's Coney dogs from Detroit, but that is a style of dog. I know people like, you know, Brian Howard were raised yeah. on that kind yeah. of stuff. Um, and everybody I know that's from Detroit... This they is love like it. Yeah. this is one of the two OG places right across the street from I, each other I ass- in Detroit, right? Yeah, I yeah. assume it's a guy who was from New York who moved to Detroit and said, "I'm going to make them like we had them on Coney Island back in yeah. 1917 or whatever it was." <laughs> I, I've researched this, and I apologize not having it handy. There was one place that was like that, and then the other place was like the open right next door, right? Like yeah. that right. kind of deal. So it became a Gino's and Pat's cheesesteaks of Philly, <laughs> oh, day, right? Like for the yeah. world. So um, yeah, I would tell people to get a Coney dog at the D. That's yeah, like, I think it's. It's important to mention, too, that, you know, eating a Coney before midnight 
is typically, <laughs> oh, you know, you got to... Kind you, of sacrilegious. Yeah, you have to wait you know, until or later. Or sober, right? Yeah, there's a commitment <laughs> there. <laughs> that this is the grazed I, papaya. Remember grazed oh, papaya? Oh, I love oh. And, and papaya king. And papaya king. And, papaya and when side. you were wasted after the limelight let out at three in the morning, you'd walk down to the one <laughs> yeah. in the village. Recession and get special. The, yeah. yeah. I don't with have uh, the with the coconut champagne, that's the one. Yeah, there you go. See, I don't have the New York experiences you have, but I have those dog experiences. Yeah. Oh, my God. Those are wonderful. That's what American Coney is from, <laughs> yeah. from Detroit. Uh, that, yeah. One other place for me, uh, Neko or Nico Sushi? N-E-K-O, you tell me. I think it's Nico. Uh, it's in the Pacific Asian Plaza on Spring Mountain Road. I usually avoid all-you-can-eat sushi for a while because it usually ends up being all-you-can-eat rice. Right. And also, <laughs> oftentimes, even if you find a place that has a great fish, which is rare and an all-you-can-eat, yeah. but if you're okay, let's say you find a place that has good fish. Um, yeah. Usually they don't take the time to cut it properly. They don't train. You know, it's no knife skills right. associated yeah. with it. So it's really just about and nobody's for your looking buck. at you know, it. Yeah, I, you're just trying to yeah, show. They're your not principle. incentivized to produce yeah. quality. But yeah. I, no, no, it's quantity. I, pound, I learned pound, to pound, eat pound. sushi from all you can eat in New York City. There's sure. All you can eat sushi place on a good one on just about every block, <laughs> and that's where you can go. Okay, I'll try unagi. You know, yeah. and I'll, absolutely. I hide it under the fucking oh, under something if I don't like I love it. The you know. Um, so you know. So where'd you go? This so this is Neko. Neko sushi. Um, the the California roll was minimal. The the I can't speak to the knife skills, but it was a nice thin slice of tuna, thin fl- slice of salmon. I I upped the price. There's a lunch price of 25 bucks, all you can eat, and there's a lot of uh, hot stuff on there. Some Korean stuff as well. Uh, I went to the all day price of 30 because I wanted to try the uni. Yeah, it wasn't that great. Yeah, well, this but this is a bad time of year to get any, by the way. And yeah. Okay. I have fought with chefs about this. I fought with um, David Middleton and Brian Howard over the years. Do not serve me Santa Barbara uni when the weather is hot. Mm-hmm. It is just yeah. the, all the bad things about uni. Yeah, now, if you're getting you. it from Hokkaido, that's a different I, deal. Right. But now no I'm idea. diving way too I'm deep. Yeah. But that's, that's shipping, not available. If they're shipping it in from Melbourne, yeah. Australia right now, it's fantastic. Uh, <laughs> so I had a salmon, uh, nigiri, a tuna, a California roll, a little pile of bulgogi beef. Uh, and a Chanel roll, one of the wacky, weird things. And it was three kinds of fish wrapped up around crab and lobster, smothered in some sauce that looked absolutely horrible, like it had broken. Oh, no. But it tasted fine. It had okay. a little kick to it. So, mm. yeah, I would go back there. Of all the all-you-can-eats, and that's not many I've tried, this one seemed to be the best ratio of uh, but fish to rice. Heavier... So the rolls were included in the all you can Yeah, yeah. And the, the bulgogi and soups and all kinds of stuff. Right. Yeah, more everything and more places thing. are doing the kind of yeah. everything on the menu. They'll just limit it yeah, like the on uni, the price, one order. Like you just yeah. mentioned. Which is good because most of the, I mean, it's good for them, I should say, not for me as a customer because I don't eat any of those rolls. But, yeah. you know, no, by, by I'm doing this. I'm, I'm a sashimi kind of girl. Yeah, I really am. But, you know, they they can pile it high with f- things that'll fill you up and get you full that are not expensive right. ingredients. So that's that's why they like right. to do that. Yeah. So if you're a roll person, sounds awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah, deep, totally deep fried rolls. They have why? A whole oh, my God. Why? No. wrong no. with you. That a visceral Stop reaction. It's a crime against You're me. I, I wish the people listening could have seen Al react to oh, that because his whole body Jesus. reacted to why, that. Why, why, why? My God, why? Full body dry heave that I <laughs> yeah, did there. Yeah. All right, so that's actually, I had some places I went to this week, including you right did. here. I'm awesome. proud of you. Yeah, yeah. You're doing well, man. I'm loving this new Rich. Uh, Gemini, what about you, man? Where have you been eating? Uh, well, again, like Rich said, I started out, well, I didn't start out, but I ended up here. So um, I came in a little early, so I tried the bar seating, and I just ordered ordered from the Oysterette. I love that I could order from a human at the bar. It's a different experience from the, the kiosk or the, the code thing that I've done before. 
So, um, yeah, I just ordered a couple of, uh, about a half a dozen oysters. They came out nice. They were beautiful. You get a little piece of um, paper that tells you where they're from, so you mm -hmm. kind of know which each one is. Fantastic. Cool. Um, a new place I tried was the coffee class, because I like trying new Ooh. coffee places and cafes. Mm -hmm. um, this one was off of Eastern and Pebble and Henderson, and I ordered a cafe au lait with almond milk and a lavender London fog, which I'll get to in a minute. It's, it's a tea latte kind of thing. Um, I also decided to taste some of their breakfast items, including vegan biscuits and sausage gravy, and a very non-vegan biscuit, ba excuse me, bacon and egg strudel, they called it. The strudel is a rectangular hand pie. It looks like a great big Pop-Tart, mm -hmm. uh, but it tastes amazing. It tastes kind of like a spinach quiche with bacon. Um, it has all the creaminess of it. The eggs are really nice. The bacon was perfectly cooked for having then being cooked in a pie. Um, the spinach notes were perfect, and it was delicious. It was super, super flaky pastry and a delicious combination inside. The vegan biscuits and fake sausage dish was admittedly pretty fabulous. Really? Yes. I've never had such a fluffy, flaky, vegan biscuit. It takes butter to get layers. Mm -hmm. And how these people did this, I have zero clue. But I seriously couldn't tell the difference. Cool. And the sausage gravy, I mean, they use Beyond Meat, um, according to the menu, um, was peppery. It was smooth, really tasty. It was on the more brownish roux side, which I kind of like, mm -hmm. uh, because I find the, the white ones people over-season with salt. So I really like this one. And I got a little avocado on the side just because I add avocado to everything. <laughs> and some pickled red onion. And the pickled red onion with the heaviness of the gravy, because even vegan, it was still carried a little bit of this thickness, this richness. Perfect. Great additions um, to Potberry's flavors in the gravy. Um, the drinks as well. So um, I mentioned Lavender London Fog. The reason I really like this one is everybody who does a London Fog or a Lavender Latte around town, much less putting the two together, they're super sweet and sugary. Mm -hmm. Coffee Class has it dialed in. They ask you if you want it regular sweet, quarter sweet, half sweet, double sweet. I, I went for quarter sweet so I could still taste their concoction, but they gave me the offer, so I took it perfect not too not overly sugary you taste the tea you taste the lavender um so definitely a, a new place that i'm happy to find and there's a few locations around town like i said i went down to henderson and tried that one out cool. on eastern it's about eastern and pebble um i went to double zero pie and pub and golden tiki again <laughs> you can't yeah. do one and without the I other know, yes I and yes again you park in the back and use the back entrance i did not tiki? no we got rockstar parking like right up front so we weren't too worried about that um, but the reason I'm, I'm mentioning them again is that because Double Zero has new menu items, the new weekly pickle dish alone is worth a trip. It's a crisp, rotating selection of veg, lacto-fermented for three weeks. And if you don't know what that is, it's a natural fermentation. It's not your typical pickling. They don't inoculate it with a bunch of yeast or weird things. They just kind of let it, the vegetables do their thing. And they're perfectly crunchy, fully flavorful bite. These were tangy, sour, salty, just as you want in a good vegetable pickle. Chef, what it is it about chefs and pickles? So many chefs I know go through their pickle phase. <laughs> you know, they just want to pickle everything. It is. It's like it's like the blue phase. But you know, <laughs> I love lacto fermented pickles because it tickles your microbiome. That's a that's a sound bite. Well, it's what I think. <laughs> um, absolutely. Is that and, legal and in all states to have sure your is. microbiome <laughs> tickled? Kim, you know, kimchi is a lacto fermentation, right? Well, so, like, so many things we love. Are are done that way, and you know I love to see those flavor profiles now coming into like the general discussion around yes. pickles. So it's not just like somebody's like cute vinegar recipe anymore, right. but they're really 
kind of experimenting yeah. with some of the wild stuff, right? And and that's that's where the flavor is. Well, so on the side of everything else that I try and do, um, I also have a hot sauce company, and um, I do kimchi and I do sauerkraut and things like that, and I do the natural lactobacillus fermentation. And I like you mentioned the no the vinegar recipe. Everybody's got a vinegar recipe. No, no vinegar, no fillers, no thickeners, no nothing. It's just the fermentation on its own. It will yep. decide with the vegetables what it's supposed to be. And totally. that's something that I just love. Um, and that's what they're doing at Double Zero. So I love that. That was Emily Brubaker, Chef Emily Brubaker with Love Group. Um, it runs that particular pickle program. And the plate of pickles on its own was worth the trip, much less all the beautiful pies and everything else Pieces that we had. are fucking great over there. Double Zero um, rocks. And Golden it Tiki rocks. because my cousin was in town, and I needed him to experience one of the best tiki bars ever built, hands down. Great service, fantastic menu. It looks like it's been expanded. And plus... You know, dicks in the bathroom and potty mouth parrots. Not yeah. to mention a few shrunken heads. Uh, Al. Yeah, I got and, my head in there. I got a little head there. <laughs> exactly. Al has a little, got a little head at the I got a little tiki. head at the Golden Tiki. <laughs> um, a new place I tried, Non and Curry. Various locations around the valley. We chose one on Durango between Sahara and Desert Inn. I haven't been to those, and I'm always looking for You're better Indian. You're not missing anything. No. No. Okay. They call them. They call themselves um, a grub place, which I'm thinking that they're using it as to mean like fast, casual, quick and easy, and all of that is fine. The meat dishes were tender, but the food had not a lot of flavor, and it didn't have the depth of flavor that I expect from Indian food. If you are not somebody who eats Indian a lot and you just want to go in for a few dishes that you recognize, mm -hmm. uh, we had the butter chicken, we had the lamb vindaloo. That was the one that had at least some spice to it. And mm -hmm. we had ordered all of them with some spice. Um, we ordered the uh, chana masala, which is one of my favorite dishes. I love that with some mango chutney. I'll get to that in a minute. And the bang nimbarta and some vegan samosas and a couple of naan and some rice and, you know, that kind of stuff. And like I said, the meats were tender, but everything was kind of bland except for the spice and the vindaloo. And we were really, really okay. kind of disappointed in that. Um, and also on the menu, zero chutneys, zero raita. How do you do that? <laughs> so I know they your audience. I, I can know, tell you, they don't sell. <laughs> I, they don't. And so I noticed though that here in the sundry, there is a place that has the banyan barta, which is an eggplant curry roasted. Mm -hmm. kind of dish um, and so maybe with the lobster roll that Rich had I'm going to have to get that to go as well <laughs> cool. um, and I think that's pretty much it I popped by Red Dwarf on Vegas Valley in Maryland obviously I have this combination for pizza and tiki they do um, Detroit style <laughs> pizza and they've got a lot of great rums they there. do yeah. and yeah. chef uh, chef Bartender Sarah was practicing some Negronis and some other fun stuff, so went down and played uh, guinea pig on that and just had a, a wonderful couple of hours over there. Cool. Well, yeah. brings us to me. I'll try to keep this short and, well, relatively Of course. <laughs> um, I got a tip last week that Kendall Jenner was dining at Casa Playa in Wynn and would likely be mixing some drinks using her 818 Tequila brand with Wynn's amazing property mixologist, Marina Mercer Barini. So I dropped by to see if I could snap a pick of them together. I mean, I got to tell you, I wouldn't recognize Kendall Jenner if she was pouring tequila into my throat on, you know, a beach in wherever, man. Yeah. But um, that's just, I don't watch that. But I love Marina, so, you know, I'd... Like, all oh, right, you know, little she's a badass and a goddess. Yeah, she, that woman can't do any wrong. In she my is life. amazing, and um, so that's why I went over to see them work together. But by the time I got there, Jenner, Ms. Jenner was already in the P, was still in the PDR, she was eating her dinner. I heard it was going to be a little while before this photo op happened, so I, I blew it off. I was, um, you know, I just I don't need another, I don't need a 
Kardashian sighting in my life. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. really going to change my week. But I did get to see how they've redesigned Cast Playa. Ooh. And so the lounge area now opens up into the main dining area. They're not as separate as they used to be. And I like the flow, or I guess the feng shui, or whatever the fuck they call it, um, a lot better. Uh, and this is really just start of the new partnership between Wynn and Carver Road Hospitality to reposition that restaurant in the public's mind. So um, I would guess having a, a Kardashian slash Jenner in there is a hint as to the type of the vibe they're trying to create. I don't know, but I do like the way that they've changed the layout in there. That's a fantastic restaurant. It deserves more attention. Absolutely. It never got the attention it deserves. Sarah Thompson, tremendous chef. Um, so, you know, this is the start of things to come, I believe, over there, and we'll be seeing interesting stuff happen. I also dropped by Haleo last week to interview Chef Stephanie Sandfree, a.k.a. Chefany, for those yes. of you who do that. Um, we spoke about several things that she and Chef Andreas' team have planned for the next few months. We're going to have some of that in the news section of the show. But for now, I want to talk about the meal Sue and I had after the interview, which was just fucking excellent. Oh, my God, yeah. You know, I always say Haleo is um, my my least exciting Jose Andres restaurant, but that's only because it just does all the things you just know what to expect, right? right. There, not a lot of surprises if you've eaten there before. And, um, you know, honestly, despite the occasional nods to his pioneering avant-garde technique, it's truly an ingredient-driven restaurant, and it's at its best when it's at its simplest. And Chef Stephanie lear- leaned into that really heavily for the meal that she sent us, which is why I fucking loved it. Uh, she sent out a feast that included beautiful examples of Hamon Iberico de Bellotta, which is, of course, the acorn-fed oh. Iberico ham, manchego cheese, chicken croquettes, endive salad, bocarones, which are the vinegar to anchovies, um, on some pan con tomate. You know, if you eat it at tapas restaurants, you know all these dishes. Roasted piquillo peppers stuffed with goat cheese. Sesame-crusted tuna over more of those roasted piquillo peppers. Oh. Grilled Iberico pressa, which it. is the shoulder cut, yep. right, um, of the Iberico, which, you know, if you don't know that it's pork, a lot of people are going to think that that's beef when they eat, like, the really well, perfectly right. done Iberico with just a little sprinkle of salt. Some beautifully charred leeks with Romanesco sauce that, honestly, I didn't even need the Romanesco. It had the ar- it was done over the orange wood that they used for their paellas and just tasted just so, so fucking good. Um, for those who want the bells and whistles, we did have the liquid olives, which are named after El Bulli's famed Ferran Adria. Um, and Rich is scribbling on my paper right now, right in front of where my notes were right there. Thank you, sir. That was very, very, very subtle. I like the idea. I'm a for, fucking I, pro. I love the idea at the very uh, Bond-esque. Let me just get in there really quick. But, uh, yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, so, yeah, they did the, they did the Ferran Adria olives, which are fantastic as well. If you want that kind of molecular gastronomy, don't use those words there. But, you know, you get that. Um, but I really believe this place is best with the single thing, the simple thing. Sorry. They're all extraordinary. Um, also, for the best of both worlds, of that simple but yet creative, I had an amazing dish from the limited summer menu that um, was really ingredient-driven, despite being a little weird. It was a fried egg <laughs> topped with caviar, a slice of what I thought were the patatas bravas, but they may not have been, but something to give it a little starch in there. And you just fold it up and eat it as this this sloppy, messy egg stuffed with fucking caviar. And it's like self-saucing so situation. Yeah, I want to try this. So I don't know good. what it is, but... So it's on their, t- their, their menu. Caviar. It reminded me of you know the, the Jose's taco where he just puts a piece of Iberico yes. and then puts the, the puts caviar, caviar right on it and, and roll it. it the fuck up. So <laughs> that was great. Um, so moving on, as some of you 
I've spoken about here before. And Rich just scribbled it out, and it just goes right to my head anyway. Rich tells me what he doesn't like me to say, but these things are so ingrained in my way of speaking that I don't fucking As get. As you, the chain. listener, know. may know. As you, my trusty listener, may know. There you go. Um, um, look, my test. first story for the Visit Las Vegas website was published about a yes. week ago, and it's discussing the evolution of Las Vegas casual dining from buffets to food halls. Uh, it also has a video of there of me exploring food halls, and we are here in for some of that video, yes. um, which is great. It was really great writing in the 1,200-1,500 word range for the first time in a long time, um, and That's it really fun. gave me a chance to dig deep into the topic, so I'm hoping this will be the first of a lot of articles. To make those other articles happen, I had a meeting with the LVCVA's editor for that site. I didn't change that. Nope. And we did that at 1228 Maine. <laughs> the lunch menu over there remains limited, although the breakfast menu was still being offered when we got there at noon. We both opted for the burger, which was very, very good. A double smash burger, man. Just really, just so, so good. Um, not my favorite burger in town, but a damn good burger. Um, I also went home with two loaves of bread which are honestly among the best breads I've ever eaten in Las Vegas. So I reiterate, I've said this every time we've spoken about 1228 <laughs> on this podcast. If you are going to 1228 and you aren't going home with bread, or maybe some pastries, but definitely bread too, you are missing the best part of this Wolfgang Puck Bakery. You need to look at this place as a place that is first and foremost one of the best bakeries in Las Vegas, and then everything else is value-added, all the food. So if you look at it that way, I don't think anybody's going to bitch about this place because it's just great. Um, over the weekend, the team at Italy invited uh, me and Sue in for a meal at their formal sit-down restaurant, Toscana. Not my first time there. Nice reminder, though, of a cool little niche that they fill. Las Vegas right now has a lot of great chefs trying to elevate the Northeastern Corridor-style Italian-American red sauce joints. Over the past couple of years, that's been a big trend, and they elevate those dishes by um, using better ingredients, better techniques. Toscana kind of strikes a lot of those same notes, but from a different angle. It doesn't feel like they're taking the traditional Italian-American dishes and elevating them. It seems like they're taking the dishes that may have inspired those traditional Italian-American dishes. So, and I say this, but I mean, it's very fresh tasting. It feels very ingredient-driven. There's a lot of tomatoes being used in these dishes. Um, I had these light as air gnocchi in a tomato-based sauce smothered in a melted cheese, but just better, fresher. It felt more like the rustic Italian dish that those... New York City grandmas were trying to replicate <laughs> with canned ingredients when they yes. discovered, you know, when they <laughs> developed this kind of stuff. Um, so I really like it for that. You know, I had um, I had some risotto that was also created with tomatoes. Um, so it was a lot of red things going on, but with some perfectly seared scallops on that. And then we did some dessert, which were from the new de uh, oh the gelato pop up. I'm, I'm feeling like the food is showing up here. I should just yeah, run through. These guys are going to start putting the food down. Yeah, what else? Visited the Sundry with Sue. We'll talk about more about the ham selection when we come back in. We had a fun day at the Cabana at the Palm oh Soak Pool over the weekend. That was a fucking blast. Uh, the Cosmopolitan had us into one of their penthouse suites for a preview of what LPM will bring to the old Milo space later this year. Most likely, I think, November. Um, that's going to be French Mediterranean. They seem to be yet another restaurant focusing on the lighter, cleaner dishes that lean heavily into vegetable components. Cool. Um, we only had a few bites, but I'll tell you, the best example of what they're doing was their signature tomatina, the tomato t tomato martini topped with fresh ground pepper. I'm and in. I think once you have that... You are going to very definitely, um, you know, know what they're trying to do there. 
coming up in the news, we have another celebrity tequila brand. Palio is doing big things, and DW Bistro extends its closure. But first, the Sundry's executive chef, David Barley, sits down with us to chat. This is Food and Loathing. Here you are in Vegas, you're hungry, and the choices are endless. But do you really want to trust the crowd? You can trust Neon Feast. Restaurant recommendations from real food pros sharing where they send friends and family. All that knowledge is just a download away on the Neon Feast app. You want the strip, off strip, downtown, great views, great value? Find smart, informed restaurant recommendations on the Neon Feast app and neonfeast.com. You want more Al Mancini? You can hear me all week long on all of the Highway Drive and Vegas Vibe radio stations delivering the Neon Feast foodie updates. Also, keep your eyes open for my appearances on Wake Up With The CW and my videos on the at Vegas social media channels. And you can find some of my writings at visitlasvegas.com. And as promised, we're joined right now by, well, first of all, by just a ton of food. Oh, yeah. <laughs> also by Chef David Varley, who um, first made a splash, at least to first to my recollection, in Las Vegas as part of Bradley Ogden's legendary, legendary team at Caesars Palace. I have followed his career from that much lamented restaurant through stints at the Luxor, making fried chicken for Britney Spears and friends before <laughs> they hit the club, to DJT in the Trump International, which had the most extensive water menu that I've ever seen in my life, <laughs> um, onto the Mina Group, where he worked his way up to, co to corporate executive chef, then took a step back to run RN74 in Seattle, where he once fed me a pretty amazing feast while I was out there shooting some um, some TV. And he is now the top chef at the new for the new table one hospitality and we're about to explain he's about to explain what that all means but first dave i always want to know how well did i do did i get many of those things wrong no no in <laughs> fact you didn't i don't remember the wa the the water menu at that project wasn't the thing i remember the most um <laughs> <laughs> uh, you you had something like nine different types of bottled waters on the menu oh, or the something thing, the there. things that really matter yes <laughs> I, I thought it was insane yeah, but, um, it well, was something that I told everybody about when I was there. <laughs> a decade later, I, uh, I I question a lot of what we did in the past <laughs> in the restaurant business. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's uh, yeah, you're you're pretty much spot on. It's been a really uh, it's been a it's been a rewarding and beautiful career working with amazing people. Um, you know, sharing great ingredients and great products, and inspiring and being inspired by 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 everybody and er everywhere. It's it's. Truly been a blessing. And, I got an uh, onion ring hanging out of my mouth. An onion <laughs> ring no. hanging out of my mouth. I'm hearing yeah. my chewing. I no. know. I, I so had good. to move my so microphone. I am not ashamed. <laughs> no. Yeah. And I'm I'm really I'm really glad to be back in Las Vegas. I you know I took a little hiatus. I always had restaurant projects here, but didn't always live here. And when the opportunity presented itself to move back to this community in 2020, uh, in sort of in the teeth of what the pandemic. What a time to come in. Well, you know, it wasn't. It was. It was. Um, and. You know, I'm really, I'm just, I thank my lucky stars that I, that, that the world sort of facilitated that move um, to come back to one of my favorite restaurant communities where, you know, the, regardless of, of what happens in this community, this, this restaurant family really supports each other. Uh, I think, you know, there's a lot of alignment and, and so much excitement, for, you know, historically and even, you know, and today with what people are doing in this, in this in the hospitality community in this town. It's it's amazing, it's supportive. You know, I've lived in other towns, I won't mention any names, 
um, but where that where the community wasn't necessarily supportive, right? And sure. if you didn't have three stars, you weren't you know you weren't cool enough to hang out with with so and so, and and all the all the nonsense that goes along with that. And in in this community, like I know, if I pick up the phone and call, you know. 15 chefs I can get and I need a hand with something or I need some advice or recommendation I can get that um, and we're all really supportive of each other and we're happy to see people winning right and that I think is what makes a really strong restaurant scene the last time I had experienced that was in Washington DC where it's a small community and you know I think there was like this element of okay well we're not New York we're not Chicago we're not San Francisco um, and we're going to band together and we're going to do awesome stuff. And we don't really care that we're not those places, right? Because we're doing great work and we're supporting each other and we're supporting farms. And we're, you know, we're a vital part of the community there. And everyone, you know, had, a, had an oar to pull on that boat. And, you know, D.C. restaurant and chef community is, is incredibly tight. And it was so rewarding to work in a situation like that compared to, you know, these hyper-competitive cities where, you know, everyone had a little bit of a, a chip on their shoulder at times. Yeah. So where were you in D.C.? Uh, I was at Bourbon Steak at the Four Seasons Hotel, mm -hmm. and uh, that was my first project with Michael Mina back in 2008. So I, I left Las Vegas um, and went, you know, straight straight to D.C. to open that project. And, you know, it was the, it was the best thing I ever did. It was uh, the right time in the right place. Everybody else, and especially Las Vegas, was suffering with... Um, you know, with the economic situation in the country. And D.C. had just, you know, we just elected Obama. And every, every you know, country in the world had to come to D.C. to do business in, in 08 and 09. So while everybody else was, you know, scaling back their projects or cutting, you know, D.C. was flush. And that was a, oh, yeah. such a great time I was to there. be cooking in that community. Um, you know, what a blast, right? So I got really lucky timing-wise with that, but um, yeah, the rest is sort of history. When you talk about this community here in Las Vegas and, and about recognizing that, that spark of, of helping each other, I mean, I have to say, that's the reason, primary reason I don't write about music anymore, I write about food. It's not because I was so in love with writing about food, it's because I love this community so much. They reminded me of yeah. artist communities, of communities of musicians that had come across in other cities um, at various times, of communities of other types of artists that I'd reported on where they really were, there was a magic there and that they were helping each other and you feel something you feel like something's happening right you're like I can't put my finger on it but something really special is happening yeah and you know I part of the part of the time where I wasn't living here I was in Fort Worth Texas and that was back when like Paul Cawthon was coming up Charlie Crockett Vincent Neil Emerson all these artists that are doing red dirt music and I could feel this electricity and you go to these tiny little you know these little dance halls and you hear these guys get up on stage and, and absolutely you know, pour their hearts out. And you're like, wow, something's happening here. Like, does everybody else feel this way? And they're like, totally. Right. And now you see them touring nationally and like, you know, they're all supporting each other. They would show up as, as audience members at each other's shows. And like, I feel like that is where the magic is, right? And that's where the best, people do their best work. And it's really fun to be part of something like that. And the restaurant community here in Las Vegas, um, you know, when I left in 08 was like that. And it, I'm really you know, very, very pleased to find that that, you know, it hasn't lost that part of its DNA. I'm glad you're saying that because, look, you know, I've, if those of us who have witnessed that magic of some art scenes in the past, you know that it's very, um, it, it can just pass by. Like, it's, it's a moment in time, and, you know, it's, it's very 
Uh, it, I, the, it's the ephemeral muse. is the word. Yeah. I don't know what word I'm looking for here. I but, like it. Um, it just sort of, you know, it, it, it's fragile and it can disappear. And it's the muse, usually, man. You see the muse just yes. like hovering above the crowd. And, but it can <laughs> often be the victim of its own success. And nope. this is where I've been worried a little bit lately about the Las Vegas food community. Because when you are just... We've always been blessed with a lot on the strip, and then we've seen those strip chefs who want their own name on the marquee, and they leave the strip and they go out to Chinatown or they go to downtown. And that's been that idea of getting these chefs to abandon the strip and striking out on their own for inexpensive rents. That's really what has been the focus of the last 10 years of driving this. What a blessing. The best thing Bellagio ever did was start charging for parking. Right. (laughs) Yeah. It's great. But the problem that I'm having now is I'm starting to think that those who don't remember how desperate we were for good things out in the burbs have now become very spoiled, have now become many very clicky, have now become very, well, we don't want this. You know, there was a Too cool for school. When having a Michael Mina-associated project on Durango Road would have been like, oh my God, this is amazing. Having Wolfgang Puck go down to the Arts District would have been like, oh my God, this is fucking amazing. Breaks the internet. Now suddenly the people who don't remember how much we craved that are like, oh, it's too, I'm too fucking cool. I don't want to fuck a celebrity chef. I'm too, you're too, and I used to be that dickhead in New York City in the <laughs> 90s where I didn't want, you know, the big people coming down to my neighborhood. So I get that. I admit but, it, I'm a little bit of that dickhead. Yo, you definitely have a bit of it in there. That's cool. You know, that's cool because we've had means, those conversations. Yeah, but that's, it's all good. We've all been that person, but. I think that's a bit of where some of the miscommunication can go and not really understanding how we're growing. And this project is a good place to focus because I think there's a lot of misunderstandings about it. And maybe it got so much hype that people were expecting it to be something other than it was. Um, So let's start with ownership. Michael Mina's name gets tossed around quite a bit with regard to this project. Could you explain his involvement and the involvement of other former and current Mina Group um, employees. Absolutely. So, you know, this project originally came to to Michael and, and the MENA group when I was with MENA group, um, you know, a few years back. And it was really just a question that Jim Stewart and the Matter team asked us to, you know, to review a design for this, this, new, this new food hall project. And we took a peek at it and, you know, we'd had we learned a lot of lessons during the pandemic and we've also operated food halls. And, you know, if you've ever operated a food hall, you got plenty of lessons, right, to fall back on. And in reviewing this, we realized there was an incredible opportunity to sort of break the food hall mold. And that opportunity was only present as a result of, you know, of the pandemic. One of the, one of the silver linings of the pandemic is that it essentially, you know, uh, forced about a decade's worth of adoption on digital ordering for food mm-hmm. into, you know, a two, three week period where everybody right. just, you know, <laughs> you know everyone right. gave up. We're like, no, all right. No, no adaptation, it's no door, learning yeah. period. Just we're doing That's this. That's a Zoom meeting. It's DoorDash's <laughs> world and we live in it, mm-hmm. right? And people that would never, like I, you know, I never had a DoorDash account. I never ordered food to, you know, delivery like that. And, you know. I, maybe that's a huge mistake. Like I could have taken and taken advantage of that a lot sooner in, you know, both personally and professionally, but I always sort of saw it as a distraction. And then all of a sudden I'm sitting on my couch and I've got no other options and I really want a pad thai. Right. Right. Um, you know, and, and I, I got over the hump. Right. And I think everybody else did by and large. And what that did is it allowed us to see the, you know, the world of social dining as it pertains to food halls in a totally new light. Um, and, you know, operationally, one of the things you really struggle with in a food hall, especially when you're not in, you know, in a downtown corridor in a major tourist city like Barcelona, 
um, is you know you've got to make it work. If it doesn't make dollars, it doesn't make sense. And the cost of operating a food hall is is really insane when you when you dive into a P and L. Um, and, and there's so many ways to lose money in this, in this venture, and that's why food halls typically don't do well. Or what happens is you have a race to the bottom in terms of quality to make up for mm-hmm. the expense of operating these things. So we looked at it and said in a normal food hall or in the design we were reviewing, you have 10, 12 kitchens. In each of those kitchens, you have a hood system. In each of those, underneath each of those hoods, you've got a fryer. And you've got a guy standing in front of that fryer. And you've got a six burner, da-da-da-da-da. And what ends up happening is you realize, okay, I've got 12 fryers, and seven of those concepts have fries on them. Isn't there a better way to do this, right? And if we could just have a fry station where they're picking up fries for all the concepts and maybe picking up lumpia for another concept and crispy cauliflower for another concept and et cetera, et cetera, wow, this could be efficient. We could provide enough you know, en- enough uh, throughput on this to actually make it make sense. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we applied that to every single station said, well, now that we have this ability to brand these operations digitally and fulfill the ordering through a QR code system, then we can really have an efficient kitchen where, you know, if you're on the grill station, you're picking up food from five or six concepts. Now you're not standing around waiting for it. And I'm not paying someone to stand around and wait for it, which is really is what shortens the runway, the lifespan of these operations. Um, and I assume you can hire a better level of, of chef, of cook, to run it because you don't have to get one for each individual concept. You could just hire a core team that is doing everything. Exactly. And, you know, that... So it's, it was really built around the operational efficiency of it and, you know, being facilitated by this technology, you know, this sort of adoption of technology. And, you know, in, in doing so, we really provided sort of a, a roadmap for future, you know, food halls in a way that, you know, it solves for a lot of the traditional problems we've had, right? And, you know, in the last food hall I operated, um, the last hood cleaning contract I executed was was $150,000 annually just to clean the hoods, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you got to sell a lot of sliders. You got to sell a lot of you know Italian right. chopped salads to pay for that kind of stuff. So this this is how they they came to you and they came to Chef Mina um, and they asked about this and you had ideas, but now, but this is not a Michael Mina restaurant, this, right? Like I want to get that out yes. of the way first. Yeah. So Michael Michael's involvement is that you know he's partnered up with Table One. Uh, which was, you know, a, a tranche of his executives from Mina Group um, that, you know, we had this opportunity to form a restaurant group a, a separate from Mina Group to do a lot of the kinds of projects that, that we always wanted to do but just didn't, for whatever reason, have the ability to do um, and also act as a, you know, white-label restaurant group for Highgate Hotels, which is our, you know, our, our parent company. So, you know, we took some really bright people um, you know, everybody in the company, aside from myself, um, they brought me along. And we formed this incredible little collective of some of the best minds in the restaurant business to, to solve problems for Highgate, to do projects like this, and, you know, and really just expand our footprint. Everybody got to level up, uh, and we're all having a blast doing it. But you guys knowing, being with the Mina Group, you had a lot of um, guest chefs that you have friends with in California that you were able to say, trust us with your concept. Absolutely. interpret your concept, because... I'm guessing that when you bring in these chefs who are well known, whether it be, you know, the, the sandwich people or yeah, Show or, um, or, yeah. or um, Matt Albert Horn, or sure. you know these these people who are very well known in the Bay Area, that 
they're they're entrusting you and your team to interpret their dishes. It's well, it's it's a, it's a, this sort of sacred trust, right? Because it's their brand, it's their life's work, um, and you know these partnerships are really interesting. We we're not operating as a landlord for for restaurant tenants. Uh, we are really their partner. We operate the entire space. Um, you know, these are these are like licensing agreements where, let's say, Al, you have this concept that you're dying to do, and you're famous for you know peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, right? And you're gonna, you and I are gonna strike a deal, and you're gonna say it's very important that I have this jelly from this farm and this peanut butter from this producer and this bread from this bakery. This is the recipe. Absolutely, I love it. We're do gonna, it out. we're gonna, yeah, we're gonna do exercise. Peanut butter jelly. Do it. I already got foie gras and jelly. That I know, just right? Brought us that I think it's gonna piss on anything I can come up with. Man. But, well, that, tell me a bit that, about that. That's like, sort of how that works. So you know, we, we strike this deal and we work together and, and you're happy with the product, you get a piece of the top line and we operate the entire the entire facility uh, and fold you into the bigger picture, right? So that's that's sort of how the whole deal works. So it's not individual leases. If you know we don't nobody wants to be a landlord of fifteen little restaurants. Uh, and that's a big part of why we're here operating the whole thing. So Michael's involvement is that, you know, he's sort of the brains behind table one with with Patrick Humel, our CEO. Um, and he's got the relationships, and he's he's a really brilliant genius. Like I didn't come up with the idea of putting putting all these kitchens under one roof. That was that was all Michael, right? And that that's to this day. I'm 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 not I'm a little long in the tooth in this industry, and I still learn something from him every time I talk to him. That's awesome. The guy's the guy's a force. He's incredible. So you hit on something that I want to ask about. So are the concepts here? Are they on a seasonal or rotational basis of any kind? Are they considered permanent? You mentioned licensing agreements. Sure. Yeah. So the the concepts we've got now are are there are concepts, um, and we're you know those are the horses we're riding. We're really excited. We've got amazing partners. Everybody that we've got involved in this project's been just truly amazing. Very collaborative. Uh, that was you know that's a that's like the basic criteria for us even working together. Is like. You've got to be great, and we've got to be great to you. Um, so, that being said, we, you know, we're we've got like everything's working really well right now, and you know we're really happy with with everybody's contribution and and what's going on. We definitely have room and opportunity to bring on some new vendors. Um, you know, we're working with Bruce from Soul Belly, uh, a few more little a few more little construction things, and then we're going to have yeah. his product available, and you know. He's been he's been a gem and is a gem. So is Soul Belly um, not available here right now? Not right now, okay. but it's coming soon. I know I haven't had it, but that yeah. just, just no, thought but I had gotten to it. The name's been associated for yeah. a while, so I was waiting it has. for that, actually. Yeah, yeah. So, it looks yeah. like there are physically more spots to be filled, like this thing on the very top about 100 yards from us. Is that a spot, or is that just more... Vince, <laughs> that's oh, the, that's all. That's all mechanical. Oh, okay. But, uh, <laughs> but it, looking at this, all this stuff, it looks like it's still being constructed. But no, that's just the mechanical that we get that's to look the industrial at. Industrial. Yeah. No, we, yeah. we put we put together this collective of, uh, of of restaurants and partners based on what we thought pre-opening we we would have capacity for. And now that we're operational, and you know we see how the whole project works, we're like, wow, we've got room for like a little bit of this and a little bit of that. So stay tuned because there's more coming to this. And the, the beauty of it is that, you know, we're not building out dedicated kitchens for these concepts, but we're folding the concepts into the equipment we've got. So, you know, in, in a food hall, if something doesn't work, all of a sudden that business closes, you're left with a gap in your food hall, and you've got to refit the whole thing. And before you know it, it starts to look like a hodgepodge if something doesn't work out. In this case, it's digital, so 
you know, we pop a new recipe in, I program it into the back, back end of the system, go on the QR code, price, press, uh, press order, and the rest is history, right? So we have a lot of flexibility and a lot of opportunity to expand and contract depending upon you know, business needs and, and opportunities for people yeah. we want to work with. A lot of malls these days, food courts are half restaurants, half plywood. Right. Yeah. So and that, that's, that's depressing. You don't want, no one yeah. wants to be in that yeah. space, right? No. So I know we definitely have a lot of other topics to talk about, but you've also mentioned efficiency. And, so, and then you just mentioned the kiosks and things like that. So talk to me a little bit about the customer experience. Being that it is all in one space. Yeah. Well, that. Yeah. What should people expect when they walk through the door? Because a lot of older people, and I'm old, and I have friends who are older <laughs> than me. A lot of older people I know are just sort of like, I walked in and I didn't know what to make of it. Sure. I didn't know, you know, so, and, and you do have great staff here, but that, that being said, you know, you don't yeah. want to, if somebody's thinking if they should come over here, what should they expect? Totally. As well, Jim you, and I ask. You yeah. know, you walk into a food hall normally and, you know, we, We've all experienced this, and you know, food halls were a new thing for for Americans ten years ago, right? And we all had to learn how to how to live in a food hall world. Well, now with this one, because of the the fact that we're we've sort of broken the model, it looks a lot more like a traditional restaurant, where you enter the space and engage with a staff member, uh, who you know a host, one of the members of the host team will seat you, explain the key, uh, you know, the QR code system. And kind of give it a brief overview of the whole project. If I may, shout out to Skylar, who both of my visits here now has been like, I walk in the door, oh, you were here before. Is there anything you have any questions about, anything? They are on it to make sure that you know what you need to deal with. Exactly. And when was the last time that happened in a food hall? <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> so I think that horse so noise I tried to make people. was my answer. Yeah. And this, that and way this. you get people to commit to the idea right off the bat. And the ordering system. Now tell us about that. Yes. Absolutely. So, you know, in a traditional food hall, part of, part of what we tried to solve for as well, not just on the operation side and financial side, but was the guest experience side, right? And, you know, when you, let's say you got four people and they want to go to a food hall, we all know how that works, right? We show up, high five each other, and everyone goes off in a different direction to get what they want. You wait in line, bust out your credit card, you pay, you wait for your food. And then we wander around like we're in high school with our trays <laughs> looking for each other. By the time we all sit, it's been 45 minutes. Right. Right. And, and that's something that people just have, you know, we realize, okay, that's the cost of doing business. We want to go to this food hall, and that's what we're going to have to endure. But food halls are cool, and we love them, right? Well, with this, that goes out the window. We're trading that experience uh, for the QR code experience. And, you know, I know there's a lot of opinions out there about food, uh, you know, QR codes and the efficiency of ordering on them, and just like the impersonal nature of it. Uh, and that's what we really tried to do with the, the host team and the service staff on the floor that you wouldn't normally have on a food hall because they'd all be tied up behind registers, you know, right. taking orders. Now we've broken them away from the registers, and they're on the floor. They're running your food. They're explaining the dishes. They're seating you. Um, and they're know, taking the order. That's the thing. I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of Resorts World, and you go to that central kiosk or mm -hmm. several of them, and press but, the buttons and then go. But the people here only take, you can only speak your order if you're seated at, at the, the Oyster the bar, bar or one of the bars. Yeah, exactly. You can speak okay. your order. Otherwise, you have to use the app. Yeah, that's exactly. what threw me off there's today because I was expecting of, the app. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of tabs <laughs> on that because, you know, we, a lot of people who listen to this podcast are very familiar with Vegas Test Kitchen. Sure. It's very similar ordering system as Vegas Test Kitchen, but where they would have maybe four or five, maybe six concepts on a busy day right. in there. We're talking, 13. We're talking about 13 <laughs> plus the two standalone restaurants. That's a lot to navigate on that app. 
I the feel scale like, can be overwhelming. Yeah, I feel sure. like people my age or, or older, and then people have said this to me, I think Rich asked about it too, why not have that kiosk like in the middle so that for somebody who just, you know, you're, maybe your eyesight's for shit, you don't want to do it. I'll, you know, I'll tell you exactly. Maybe have a larger push button thing that you could walk up to. So I'll tell you exactly why we don't do that. First of all, your phone is, is, is the best kiosk ever and you don't have to dip your credit card. But if you don't want to use your phone, we certainly will take your order. But the issue with a kiosk in this environment is that it doesn't locate you, right? So when ah. you place an order on a QR code here, that's an individual QR code mm. for the table. That indicates ah. to us where that food needs to go. So if we were to do it on a, you know, a central kiosk system, then what we'd end up with is, okay, grab a table tent and put your table tent number into the QR code. And now we're hunting around mm. for a needle in a haystack and a, ba you know, a 20,000 square foot food right. hall. Nobody wins that way. It creates 10 new problems to solve one. So really it's about the messaging, right? And do you notice a generational issue in people's willingness or their, their excitement about using the phone I, order? I expected one. And what I found is that you know, with, with, if you come in with an open mind and, you know, you, you're, you want to have a good time, you're going to have a good time. And it's like that in any restaurant, though. If, you know, like if you want to fight, you want to fight. If you want to have, if you want to, if you want to have a bad time, you're going to have a bad time, right? So for this project, if you come in with an open mind and you engage with the staff and use the QR code, it's really not that hard. It's not scary. And every day I use the QR code. Uh, to, you know, basically, essentially what I'm doing is secret shopping the restaurant. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll, I'll, I'll roll up to a QR code. I love that. And I'll place a huge order. And it takes me like two or three minutes. Mm -hmm. And I can order enough food for eight people. And, you know, I'll put a fake name in there and a comp code. And that food arrives. And I taste that food just as a guest would. And it literally takes me two to three minutes to order for like five or six people. The, now, the runner come out and go, oh, shit. It's yeah. Every time. Dave, I was going to say. Again, Every <laughs> single time, right? But that's, I mean, that's how you control quality. And I would say, like, give it a shot. If you have questions, ask. Everyone here is really friendly, and they're all really eager to help you. Um, you know, and, and, like, the QR code, you know, we're working every day on the on the user interface we know that there's a lot of content in there it's it's pretty wordy you know we're all doing our best to describe each concept um Let's run down, by the way, because we are, we, unfortunately, men, I could do this all day. We could have a quadruple episode, but no one would listen to a quadruple episode. <laughs> so um, let's run down what some of those concepts are. And I mean, you brought food out here. That's, that's actually, guys, yeah, what's your favorite yeah, yeah, thing yeah. you've eaten? Let's run oh, down a few dishes, because these sliders I'm, I've had before are fucking great. The crab cake sandwich is my first time having it. I'm loving it. I am yeah. loving it. I don't know what this foie gras and strawberry jelly that oh looks my like God. it's on a, not yeah. a made out of white Wonder Bread or something. It's, what is so, going yeah. on with this? It's a fun, crustable. It's oh, a fun you. crustable. So we didn't want to get sued by whoever <laughs> trademarked the uncrustable. Uh, but this was an idea that Eric Perlin had come up with a while back. And Eric was, um, you know, was our partner here at Happy Hoagie, and we've worked together over the years. And he's he's always got a crazy idea or two. And he brought this to me, and I'm like, dude, not now, right? Like, I don't have time for this. Uh, a year ago, right, right, prior to this, I'm like, let's just do this restaurant project together. You can do sandwiches, and and I'll figure out the uncrustable with you, right? So. One day he just brought one up to me and it was great. So that's what you got here. Cool. It's uh, foie mousse, a little bit of hairy strawberries, best strawberries in the world, and uh, it's really simple. Cool. It's just pressed in, a, in, in now, really tender, delicious white bread. And now I'm digging into the hams. Which yeah, the and they're domestic. Yeah, they have. Yeah, you have a this ham is Lady menu. Edison. 
a ham menu at the oyster bar. So you can just order oysters and ham, which yep. I fucking love. <laughs> now you've got the prosciutto in the Italian section. I think you have two Italian hams. You have, I know, Iberico oh, on yeah. there from Spain. But then you have four domestic hams that you give the whole treatment with this. Have you, you guys, try this biscuit that goes with the fucking ham, man. Oh, I have. Yes, that is. I need some ham. Got to get ham. in there. Yeah, What's there better than try a that one. What's better than a cheddar biscuit, right? Yeah, oh. cheddar biscuit. Is that's a different kind of ham that I just gave you. <laughs> oh, that's te, that's ten shuto, which is oh. uh, ten shuto. Ten shuto, Tennessee. Uh, oh. <laughs> and you know, American <laughs> nice ham saltiness. American hams are totally amazing, right? There's there's a long tradition. It's not this new thing. Um, and, you know, the restaurant community in Vegas definitely gets American hams, right? Dave Chang was out there with Benton's ham, like, years ago, popularizing it. Like, hey, I know everyone's stoked about Iberico, but we have this amazing thing here in the United States. And ever since my days with Bradley, you know, I really place a lot of value on American product. And I'm really proud of what, what we're doing. And this is one of those things that's not, you know, it's not a... Um, it's not the result of like a marketing team having a meeting in some mm. office somewhere. This is real people growing great, you know, mm -hmm. raising great pork and curing it the way their grandparents did. And sometimes so they it's, hang it's awesome, in whiskey right? rickhouses, which is amazing. Mm, totally. <laughs> right? It's coming from Kentucky. So totally. we, we talked earlier about some of the things that are a bit pricier than what people may expect. But you also have a lot of things that are very affordable. Can you run down a couple of your... Look, man, I'm just going out to lunch. I just have to be in the neighborhood. I'm not looking to do anything yeah. fancy. I, I want to... I want a reasonably priced lunch. Hit me with a couple of your favorites. Absolutely. Well, you know, I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention Easy Slider. That's uh, that's sort of my little concept, and those are old old timey, you know, smash burgers, right? Oh my God, the Mayataki yeah. one. Right. Dude. Yeah. Gochujang. So good. Roasted my takis, <clears throat> totally vegan, really, really lovely. As I said um, about this one you brought out with the uh, crispy onions on top, it takes me back to the Char Burger in Cascade Locks, Oregon, yep. about 70 miles east of Portland, up the wow. Columbia River, on the way to the grandparents' house in the 60s, yeah. stopping there and what? oh my God. This takes me back to White Mana in New Jersey. Oh, which wow. Yeah, I know, Al, <laughs> I'm pretty sure you're familiar with that. But, you know, another great item for lunch would be the um, Italian chop that salad. Right. Beautiful. It's super fun. We've got the um, from our Indian concept Abaji. We've got beet puriol, which is like a beet curry. So now that that, that is one's good. vegan. It's got big time flavor. That has a right? lot of flavor. The beets have a wonderful texture. With a little rice. Yeah. Yeah. Now we're now it we're talking for lunch. It doesn't need it though. But yeah. for those who don't, um, yeah, but you yeah. do have a full Indian concept. Yeah. You have. Um, yeah, I mean, you've got you've got the chicken sandwich from Calbert and chicken, yeah. basically fried chickens from Calbert, which who's a famed barbecue chef from the Bay Area. And I mean, there's Matt, some Matt Filipino food. There's Filipino food in here. Yeah, yeah we've got, we've got modern Filipino. So I'm, yeah. you know, the, every culture has its food police, right? And like with Filipino <laughs> food particularly, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of opinions about it. It's like they're, you know, everyone's mom's chocolate chip cookie is the best. And cool. same with Filipino cuisine, right? So we've got modern Filipino, which is Ria Dali Barbosa, born in the Philippines, raised in L.A., worked in the best restaurants in the city of Los Angeles. She's an incredible cook, soulful cook. It's not going to look like grandma's Filipino, but it's going to bring you right to that place. Uh, so you don't want it to look like my grandma's Filipino. <laughs> <laughs> she was doing the Italian food. Anyway, man, thanks so much for your time, Dave. This is delicious. We're digging in. Rich, you like that biscuit there that I made you the try? The biscuit, you said cheddar. It's just a hint of cheddar and a hint of that uh, honey or something on dill. top. Yeah. And but look at the texture works. of yeah, that biscuit. Dill, I mean, it's great. And nothing overpowering. Oh, it just all off. is in harmony. So while we dig Balance. a little further into this and we're getting ready for the news, the news coming up next, this is Food and Loathing.
We are all over social media. Just search for Food and Loathing or reach out directly. Info at foodandloathing.vegas. And where am I these days? What am I doing? Most important, what am I eating, cooking, and learning? Find out in time at wishboneandvine.com. One more time, that's info at foodandloathing.vegas. And my site, wishboneandvine.com. So I saw this on the drive-in, Indian Bazaar and Cafe. It's coming in near Ikea and Durango in the 215. I have no idea who or what is involved yet, but I'm going to try and find out. Okay. Because we need more international market-type places here. And this has a huge sign. So it's a and mystery it's a huge based on a space. sign. So it's a mystery at the moment, but I promise I'm going to dig into it. Off to 37th Avenue in Jackson Heights. <laughs> <laughs> You've been there, right? I don't think it's I have. It's all Indian for about three blocks. Uh, oh restaurants gosh. and jewelry yeah, I mean, shops I, and rug you, shops and I, sorry I shops. Down on, um, down on 6th Street in the East Village, right? Was it 6th or 7th? Yeah. Anyway, hey, I oh, yeah. do, do this I'm fast. already got you off track. News. Um, I mentioned vi- earlier in the show, I visited Haleo earlier in the week. I spoke to Steph Sheffin. Stephanie, Steph, That's right. Chef Stephanie Sanfrey, uh, Stephanie as she calls herself, and she told me about a whole bunch of things, but what we're going to talk about in this cut is the uh, anniversary, 30th anniversary of Haleo that's going on right now, and that'll lead into something about the Tin Fish Club's upcoming sold-out event. They did a party in D.C. kind of celebrating on the actual day, and then we're following it up, kind of rounding it out with uh, a couple of specials run over three weeks. Um, so we're running three specials over three weeks to kind of celebrate the 30th. Cool. So tell me a bit about the specials. Yeah, this week we're running uh, butifara con mongets, and it's a Iberico sausage with um, Asturian white beans and then aioli. And then we also have our taca de huevo, which is a fried egg with caviar and a brioche toast. Kind of meant to like pick up and eat as a taco. You have a couple of special events I also wanted to talk to you about. Tell me how you got involved with the Tinned Fish Club and what you're going to be doing with them. So we have a, a marketing me- uh, manager who actually brought it up, and she pitched it to us, and we thought it was really interesting because we had never considered doing an event like that, and we know that Tinned Fish is really coming up in in all all the restaurants and stuff, so... We decided to join in on it, and uh, it, we had a tasting last week, and it, it turned into a really cool thing. Like, we had a lot of different ingredients that are pairing really well with the tin fish, and we're making sure that it's Spanish-forward. That way, she's bringing in a lot of Spanish product that we can kind of chip in on. Now, is that new to Haleo for you to allow somebody else to come in and kind of bring their own food and to work with them? Yeah, and if so, what was that experience like? Yeah, um, we we definitely had some caveats that made sure that we're following the rules, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do have some Jose products coming in for his tin fish line, um, alongside some other really nice product, and that allowed us to kind of open it up. Right. So with say doing a line of that, I guess you are already kind of hip to the whole tin fish thing. Because I got to be honest with you, I've yet to catch on to what the appeal of the tin yeah. fish movement is. No, I mean I I've never. I've never done a tasting like that before. This was my first time. So it was really eye-opening, and we got really excited about it. Cool. Are you impressed with the products that are out there? Yeah. The the Jose ones are really great, um, but also we the other brands that we were trying, there was this mackerel that was incredible. It was so moist, and some of, some of, some of them were crazy. Okay. <laughs> there no, was, no, I want to hear. Tell me crazy. There were some mussels that were 
very interesting. But the, <laughs> there was a lot that was just really tasty and flavorful and just easily paired with other things. And yeah, you heard me say it. I don't get tin fish, but you do, Gemini. I so, do. I'm um, going to the event. I, w I think I was probably the first ticket purchaser because I bought my tickets before the newsletter went out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so next up, sometimes I feel if you want to be a celebrity in the 21st century, you need your own spirits brand, preferably tequila. Latest example, other than we spoke earlier about some... some um, some Kardashian tequila earlier in the show, but also Joe Montaigne from Criminal Minds. Um, he is now a partner in Senor Rio Tequila. I caught him talking about it on Jonathan Scott's Vegas Nonstop podcast, and afterwards he told me a bit about it. To me, it's a special product, partly because for, for a lot of reasons. First of all, the product itself. It's pure tequila, it's pure agave. It's, we don't cut it with sugar, additives, vanilla, what a lot of people do to, 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 to try to, you know, whatever. It's, so uh, there's that. But beyond that, it's the story behind it. That's, and that starts with my partner here, Debbie Medina. I mean, once, once I, I met her and heard her story, it just, it, 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 I've been very blessed in my life. Look, I, my, my day job's a pretty good one. I didn't need to really do anything else. But the thing is, something about her and, and what she was trying to do with this company and her story that touched me in a way. And I thought to myself, you know what? Let's try to do. She was looking for somebody to partner up with, and I couldn't think of anybody better. And what she, I, I wanted her to meet my wife, which she did, and my wife felt exactly the same way. Like this is a person that really is a quality person, and what she's trying to do, uh, you know, she's trying to carry this business due to the fact that her father passed away, her husband passed away, she's got special needs, grandchildren, all of that. I mean, yeah, none of it would would, would be a factor if if, if the product wasn't you know worth it either but the point is the product was so i mean all these things you combine them together so it was for me a no-brainer of course I'm, I'm a privilege to go into business with you and so that really is it so there are several expressions here we saw the blanco the reposado and yeho i know there are some others out there right. which is your favorite I'm, i like the reposado myself but the añejo but I, I go i go between the two because i like to you know i tend to like it straight i like to sip it put a, maybe something put a little ice in it too but i've got to tell you the the Elix, the elegance, which is kind of like our cordial. It's, it's, it's a tequila, coffee, kind of liqueur type of drink. That thing is off the charts. Because anybody who normally would like, like a, perhaps a Kahlua or Frangelico, everybody who I turned on to this, they go, oh my God, this is, so, this is a whole other level. Because this is like the kind of a coffee cordial drink, but it's got that tequila kind of note at the end. So if you like, if you like tequila, you'll, you'll love that as, as a, kind of an after you know, after meal, dessert kind of a thing. So, so right across the board, I just really, uh, I'm proud to represent the company. It sends some good vibes to the team at DW Bistro. Oh, They've um, extended their closure, which I believe was brought on by some sort of leak. It's now going to be closed through the end of August. I spoke to the reps. We're hoping to have Bryce and Dalton on to tell us about it once they get it all worked out. But for now, looks like they're shooting for August 31st. So much love to them. Oh. We got to go back. When Absolutely. they're open again, we yes. go back. That's we right. Go back. Yeah. Gotta Do go this. back. Um, if you've been wondering what's happening with the Emmett Smith restaurant, you just go to the RJ, read, De um, read Jonathan Wright's story. I haven't read the actual lawsuit, but apparently Chef Rainier Schwartz is suing over that. This what? is something that I interviewed um, Emmett Smith about this a long time ago, and we, we played like it on the show. two years. But I'm not going to bore you with, by yeah. playing that again. Just go read Jonathan Wright's story in the RJ, and you'll get all caught up there. 
Downtown Container Park, Maui Strong, fundraiser for Maui Relief Fund. This Sunday, August 20th, from 3 p.m. to 9 p.m., they're promising Hawaiian performers, artists, vendors, Zumba and Hula Fitness, food and drink, and more. The Salvation Army will be there on hand, accepting donations. Obviously, the connections between this city and the Hawaiian Islands are super strong, and we Look, just go out, support these yes, people. Yes, they are yes. our brothers and sisters. And that is about it for this week. Thanks to our guests and to our host, David Varley, um, as well as Stephanie Sanfrey, Joe Montaigne. We'll be back next week with more deliciousness. Until there, we're getting back to stuff in our faces. So for Jam Samantha Gemini Stevens, Rich Johnson, I'm Al Mancini. I always tell you to stay hungry, but that's hard the way they feed me here. <laughs>